0: Uh, today we're going to look at another lesson in the wilderness. We're going to look at uh, the Holy Mount of God, um, looking at Exodus chapter 19. Very interesting passage here. Um, there's a lot of things that I need to say about about some of the concepts here that I won't be able to get at today. Um, you know, we're going to be looking at the law next week, Lord willing, if I don't get this done, or the week after, however it works. But um, and then we'll look at how, what is the Mosaic Covenant? What, what, you know, a lot of people today in many churches believe that the Mosaic Covenant was given for their salvation, for Israel's salvation, never was. And we're going to learn that today, uh, that the law was not given to save Israel, you know, and we'll, we'll see exactly what that means. All right. And so Exodus chapter 19, let's read the first uh, three verses here. And we'll get started. In the third month, when the children of Israel were gone forth out of the land of Egypt, the same came they into the wilderness of Sinai, and they were departed from Rephidim and were come to the desert of Sinai and had pitched in the wilderness and there Israel camped before the mount, the mount so we 're talking about that big mountain that uh, Mount Sinai, the one that to Israel was is so important. I think you might have a picture here. Uh, this is what many people believe Mount Sinai was i don 't know. Uh, others have called it something else, but this one seems to be kind of the consensus, you know. And then in front of the mountain, you can see there's much area there for people to camp. Uh, found this other graphic. I don't know if I have it. No, I don't. Oh, yeah, there it is. Show that to you, so you can imagine what that would look like, you know, as the the tabernacle was there and the fire of God and. The mountain there and then you can imagine God coming on that mountain with the smoke and thunder and lightning and it would have quite an ominous thing and so we're going to look a little bit at that today at what God was doing when he decided to come and and reveal himself to Israel that way Uh, very important uh, here so they would camp here in this particular spot for the next 11 months Uh, and so as they get the law of God they're obviously supposed to be taught it, and, and so Moses would take the next 11 months and teach the children of Israel in that very camp, and then God would move them from that camp towards a promised land. And of course, what we're looking at here are lessons. We're looking at how did God prepare them to go into the promised land, because that's what it was all about. And so here today, we're going to be looking at, at how really God was setting them up for their purpose trying to get them to understand, this is why I saved you. This is why I delivered you. This is what I need for you to do. And, um, of course, uh, they ran into some problems in relation to that. Um, so Moses, actually, as well, uh, remember when he left Egypt, uh, after he'd killed the Egyptian, he went, uh, he went in to uh, live with Jethro, uh, which ultimately became his father-in-law, and uh, he was actually shepherding in this area. And in fact, in Exodus chapter 3, 12, when God met Moses on the mountain, he said, And he said, Certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God upon this mountain. And so, God, this is the same mountain that he was on when he was with Jethro's his father-in-law. And of course, we just went through Uh, jethro's uh, you know uh, advice and so forth in the last chapter and so they were within this area and this is where moses worked in that during that time and um, so god made a promise he's fulfilling it here moses is on that same mountain god led them there and so israel is going to now meet the god that delivered them from egypt you got to understand they don't know god during this time the way even you and i do as we look at god so Israel is basically ignorant of this God. They saw what he did. They saw his power. They saw how he showed himself powerful over the gods of the Egyptians. How, they, uh, how he destroyed the Egyptian army in the Red Sea. Uh, they understood the strength of God. He was a man of war. Exodus chapter 15, that first song given in scripture there, uh, gave a pretty good indication of how they perceived uh, God to be. But God is going to show them another aspect of himself, and I don't think they were quite ready for this. <laughs> you know, it's interesting because I, I think what what we think sometimes, and I, and I know this is what's happening today within Christendom, we've missed, we we've missed a part of God that He initially revealed Himself as. Yeah. And because later on He came in a softer touch through Christ and through the Lamb of God and so forth, that somehow we think that eradicates what he was upon that mountain. And that's not it at all. That's the same God. I mean, it's the same, same God that gave the law, same God that uh, came down upon the mountain, the same God that required holiness and so forth. Uh, just because Jesus came as a lamb does not mean that somehow God changed. He's the same as he ever was. But he just came because he knew that they couldn't approach the mountain. And that's why they had to send the lamb. That's why Jesus Christ had to come. Uh, you can't approach a God like that. And that's basically the lesson of this whole chapter, that he's unapproachable without Christ. Mm. He really is. And so Deuteronomy uh, 4, verse 32, it says, for, and, and in Deuteronomy, you get a lot, you know, a lot more detail later on. Moses uh, begins to explain some of the situations they went through, and he starts giving more detail about even conversations that he had with the Lord that you don't see in Exodus. And so we see, we'll see that a couple of times as we go through this lesson here. So Deuteronomy 4.32, it says, For ask now the days that are past, which were before thee, since the day that God created man upon the earth, and ask from one side of heaven unto the other, whether there had, hath been any such thing as this great thing is, or hath been heard like it. Did ever people hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of the fire, as thou hast heard and lived? And so he's reminding them of what they experienced there at Mount Sinai and and the uniqueness of what they experienced there in God coming down and talking to them, that holy God of heaven, you know. And so the mount itself, I believe, is a symbol of God's majesty, his loftiness, uh, the principal attribute of holiness. You get that very much from this particular story. Uh, Isaiah 57, verse 15 says, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to to revive the heart of the contrite ones. And so there you see a contrast. You see God high and lifted up and holy, and yet he brings in this aspect of the contrite ones. And so those are the two... Uh, existences that need to take place here there's God who is high and holy but then for us if we want to access or come to him we have to come to him in a contrite way we we don't come just come curiously or we don't just come uh you know uh pridefully uh or even taking advantage or for granted the access that Christ gave us in coming before the throne of God I think somehow we we somehow look at what Jesus did for us and we kind of lessen the holiness of God because, oh, you know, he made us a way in. I think God still wants us to fear him even though we have access to him. And we must never lose that aspect of fear or what's going to happen is our personal lives will not reflect God and his holiness. And I'll tell you something, if that's not going to happen, we'll be ineffective in this world. See, the the Christendom today, they think the more that we become like the world, having access to God, the more impact we can have with the world, but that's not true. What we have to do is understand, sure, we can have access to God, but we also have to reflect the loftiness of our God and the holiness of our God to the world. Uh, That's the only way they're going to understand that there's a difference, Otherwise, the God they believe in isn't going to be the right God. <laughs> and that's what we're having today. They're Jesus. I don't even recognize who they talk about sometimes. And it's sad, but it's very, very true. And so uh, Jesus Christ was physically born in a stable, a symbol of lowliness as he presented himself for the purpose of being a lamb led to the slaughter. And so you see this, this, uh, the, this you know, almost a contradiction or this uh, contrast of contriteness to holiness. Isaiah 53, 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. As a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. Why did he do that anyways? Well, we know that he, because he simply was surrendering himself to become that sacrifice. But I also think he was also teaching us, this is the heart you need. You want to come to God you you got to come to him this way you come to him close your mouth stop justifying yourself you know just come to me contritely that's the only way i can accept you none of this i'm great you're not <laughs> you know you have to come simply on the basis of humility and believing who god is and so they would have their first meet with god in his holiness to set the mark of expectation from God. So this is very important that God would meet them with this particular uh, focus as he came down upon that mountain. If he would have come as just simply, uh, you know, uh, a week, you know, even even like, uh, even the way Jesus came later on, it it wouldn't have done justice for the children of Israel. They needed to see God and his holiness first. And in fact, if you look at the holiness of God in the scripture, the Old Testament, the word holy is used over and over and over again. And, you know, not so many times in the New Testament. In the New Testament, you see love and so forth and things like that. But in the Old Testament, God was trying to establish his foundation of holiness because they didn't get it. They didn't get it. And God had to establish that because it was only as they see how high he was that they finally get to themselves and realize, I can't do this myself. If, you, they come, if, if God would come at your level, then they'd say, oh, no problem. And they would be self-sufficient. But God is trying to bring them to their knees, basically. Trying to bring them to humility. That there's no way you can't even touch the mountain, you know, is what he's trying to tell them here. So number one, God's purpose revealed. Um, let's see here. We'll look at verse number three. And Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, thus, sayeth, thus, sayeth thou, <laughs> thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bare you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. Now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed, and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine." And you shall be unto me as a kingdom of priests and an holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. And Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before their faces all these words which the Lord commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord hath spoken, we will do. And Moses returned the words of the people unto the Lord. So letter A, first we have God's reminder of deliverance god's reminder of deliverance notice in verse 4 he says you have seen what i did unto the egyptians and how i bare you on eagles wings and brought you unto myself and so he had to remind them again you think it's not that far away do you have to remind them yes he did he did so reminding god's people of the deliverance is very important it's important for you too you need to remember how the lord delivered you yes, or you can get just too high for yourself too lofty you know You need to remember, if the Lord didn't come and salvage you, you wouldn't be salvaged right now. You wouldn't be sitting here tonight. God came to deliver you. We have a tendency to forget that. And God knew that Israel had that same problem. So God overcame the Egyptians. Uh, Verse chapter 15, the song that they sang after the the Egyptian army was destroyed. In verse 3, it says, The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host hath he cast into the sea. His chosen captains are all drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have covered them. They sank into the bottom as a stone. <laughs> you know, sounds like a good lyric, you know. But you know, they're, they're giving facts here. They're giving very detailed facts. This is what's going on. The Lord did this. The Lord destroyed this army and now they're, they're, they're down on the bottom of the sea. I mean they realized the, the power that God exhibited on that day. So Israel's greatest song was sung when God covered the Egyptian army with the Red Sea. First song in Scripture, right there. John 1633, God Jesus says to us, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Yeah. And Egypt is a picture of the world to us. Mm-hmm. You know that. And so we have to remember that too. You know, as we go through our Christian life that, hey, this world is as, as uh, threatening as it seems, as uh, intimidating as it is sometimes, we need to understand the Lord has already overcome it. Amen. That whole system, you know, we're wrestling the system constantly as God's people, we we are this week, we're gonna next week we're gonna wrestle it again. <laughs> you know, we need to understand that God has overcome that system, that we are not underneath the control of this world. We are above it. And that's what he needed to have these people understand about the Egyptian armies as well. Number two, God lifted them out of bondage. It says he bare them on eagle's wings. Notice he doesn't say with eagle's wings. He didn't give them all each their own wings. Basically, he had his wings and he put them like like little eaglets on top of his wings and carried them out away from their place of bondage. Uh, Many times eagles will do things like that and then allow the the eaglets to fall off so they learn to fly. Amen? It's all about maturity. It's all about growth and so forth. And that's what the Lord is saying. I, I pulled you out. But now I want to mature you. I want to prepare you and get you ready for, for your life ahead. And so uh, God lifted them above the enemies. They were untouchable. Think about that. Think about an eagle. Who really could touch you if you were riding on the wings of an eagle? What really is your enemy at that point? <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> Unless there's a bigger eagle. <laughs> you know, But if God has us on his, on his wings there 's really no other enemy that can take us down; He has lifted us up, you know, and we need to take that to heart as well and He also brought them out speedily i I believe you know the the eagle's not you know a slow bird, and it 's a fast bird you know and uh, and the Lord brought them out very quickly let be god 's reason for deliverance, of course fellowship in Exodus nineteen verse three and Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain saying. Thus thou shalt say unto the house of Jacob, tell the children of Israel. Um, that's not the verse I was looking for. Oh yeah, that's what I was looking for. You have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, how I bare you on eagles' wings, and brought you, where? Unto myself. Unto myself. That's what it's all about. So the Lord really was bringing them to him he wasn't just delivering them and going dropping them off somewhere he's saying what i'm doing is here i'm, I'm coming and picking you up and i'm taking you to myself so in all reality when you think of your growth and your uh, moving forward your service to god and so forth it the really the main goal to all of that is to know god that's what it's all about you're here today it's about knowing god I mean, we could do ministry, we can reach out, but I'll tell you something, that is secondary to knowing God. It's always knowing God first. So the first thing you did, I brought you unto myself. So a lot of people, they make the Christian life just about, uh, just about performance. Oh, we just serve, and now I'm a good Christian. That's not what it's about. I mean, sure, we do that, but you know what? It's more about you getting close to God. See, that's where they were struggling. Remember when they were in the desert there and the, where's the food? Where's the food? Well, the Lord is saying, I'm bringing you unto myself. Now, what, who is God? Well, God is the one that owns the earth and the fullness thereof. So what do you need? <laughs> really, what do you need? Because you find what you need as you get closer to the Lord. And so you look at, uh, so I'm miserable. I'll tell you what your problem is. You're not close to the Lord. I got no joy. Well, you got to get close to the God of joy. (laughs) Well, I can't take care of my family. Well, then you got to get close to the God that can take care of your family. I mean, that's the only way. So the first thing he does, he says, "I, I put you on eagle's wings to deliver you, to bring you unto myself. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about for Israel that's what it's all about for God's people, the church. It's all about you getting closer to him. That's it. Amen. Otherwise, all you are is performers. You get saved. We go to church, start performing. Oh, we're supposed to do this. This is what a good Baptist is. And, and I've seen that. My, my whole ministry life, I've seen that within Baptist churches. And I, and I made a determination that when I come here and start this church, that's not how we're going to do things. It's not just going to be a performance-based thing. It's going to be relationship-based. Relationship-based Christianity. Amen? Amen. I'm not going to twist anybody's arm to go (laughs) soul-winning. But I'm going to tell you something. You get close to the heart of God that loves souls, you're going to start soul-winning. And the reason why people aren't faithful is they're just not getting close to God. The reason why people are not faithful is they're not close to the faithful one. Amen. You can't tell me if you get close to the faithful one, you're going to be unfaithful. (laughs) You know what I mean? I mean, isn't it like that? When you draw close to somebody, you become more like them and you take on their characteristics, whether that's good or bad. Amen. Amen. The Bible says don't be around an angry man, lest I'll learn his ways. You can learn their ways. So you can't tell me if you're being unfaithful. You're not following the Lord. You're you're not being faithful in the things of God. You're not being faithful in in your church attendance. You're not being faithful in the the things, uh, whatever it is. You can't tell me you're drawing close to God. Wow. You got sin in your life, you just leave there. Don't even deal with it. God is holy. How How can you say that you're spending time with a holy God and you've got known sin in your life? that he has shown you over and over and over again during preaching and and all you can do is blame someone else for it, amen? No, God is trying to bring you to himself so you can get rid of it because he wants a closer relationship and he wants you to reflect him. That's what it's about. That's where performance becomes easy, (laughs) amen? The things you do for the Lord aren't grievous, If we're close to him. Amen. Unless it's just religion. Just religion. Then you're, oh, do I have to again? Do we have to be at church so many times? You know, I I hear it sometimes. (laughs) And all you're telling me is you're not spending time with God. You spend time with God, you will want to be faithful. Not only that, you might even learn to love it. Amen. So God brought Israel out so they would be with him. That's what it was all about. But their sins separated them. You see Isaiah 59, verse 2, But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Even our prayer life is no good. Um, iniquities, that word, is, is really meant to describe the aspect of sin that is, that is, uh, is like um, self-will. So iniquity is me putting myself first. It's, very, it's a very big word in the Old Testament especially. <laughs> There's all kinds of transgressions, iniquities, and sin. You've got these different titles, and they all have a slightly different meaning to them of what God's trying to get across with them. But when he's saying your iniquities have separated between you and your God, he says your decisions for yourself and wanting to do your own thing are keeping you from me. You're not surrendering to my will. Amen? Letter C. God's reward for obedience. Verse number five, it says, Now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. So number one, obedience would make Israel a peculiar treasure To God. Um, Peculiar means something belonging to God and to him only. So peculiar isn't strange. (laughs) You know, it may look strange to others, but that's not what the word peculiar means. Really what it's saying is God saying, above all the people of the earth, what I want to do is I want to pull you guys Real close to me as a special treasure. That's what he's saying there. A peculiar treasure. A very specific treasure. And he's got a reason for that. It's not that he's looking at the other souls and saying they don't matter. But he's got a reason as to why he's bringing them closer at this point. And you'll see in the scriptures it was always like that. Genesis chapter 12, what did he do? He went to one person. He went to Abraham. Abraham. You know, he said to Abraham, I want to pull you close. Then ever since that time, he's been, he's been expanding. And so when Israel and all the tribes came, he says, and he got them out of Egypt, he says, now you as the children of Abraham, I'm going to take all of you and I'm going to do the same thing with you that I was doing with Abraham. Why is he doing this? Why does he want so many people? (laughs) Well, he loves them, of course, but he's also wanting to use them. He's got a purpose. You got a purpose for them. And so peculiar treasure is something very much valued by God. So all I know is this. It was a choice for Israel whether they wanted to become a peculiar treasure. Yeah. It's your choice too. Now, you're peculiar in the way that because you're saved and you're bought with the blood of the Lamb, uh, to him personally, you're, 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 you're special to him. But I'm going to tell you something, that's not the reason why you're down here still. You're down here because he's trying to separate you out and make you peculiar as a church. In fact, the two groups in the scripture, are the only two groups that he's ever referred this way, and that's the Israel and the church. In Deuteronomy 7 verse 6, it says, for thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. See, this has a lot to do with what he's trying to accomplish here and bringing them to the promised land. He's trying to get them to understand. See, I'm not just trying to give you a place to live (laughs) just so you can go eat and just do your own thing. I'm trying to separate you out. I want you to understand that. And then I want to lead you into a land boundary that you will possess and take, take for your own so that you as a nation will be peculiar to me to the whole world. And you'll become a light to the world. See, but that was a choice. They, you know, they failed, right? <laughs> they started worshiping idols and so forth. So what did God do? Well, he took them out of the boundaries. <laughs> He's like, I can't, I can't. I can't put you, it's kind of like the church in Ephesians where he says that if you don't repent, I'll remove your candlestick. Do you understand that? It doesn't mean that you, he's blowing out your light, you know, but what he's saying is I'm taking away the platform that, you, that I gave to you so that you as a people could shine to the world yeah. because you as a church are not listening to me, you're not obeying me. So he says, I'm going to take away your candlestick. And that way you will not be effective. I'm going to take you out out of the view of the world. So they don't take you seriously. That's the same thing he did with Israel. Amen. He took them out because they were no light. They were no witness. So you're not a witness for me. I put you in those boundaries, in the land boundaries, so you could be a witness to me. And so I'm going to take you out and bring you to Babylon. You know, And then that's why they haven't even got back yet. Sure, they're back somewhat. But you understand, they're not really going to go back until they receive Christ. And then God says immediately, they're going to become exactly what God planned for them to be with a new covenant. Amen? So that's why I'm saying the Mosaic Law was not given to them to save them, even though the Mosaic Law gave standards of God it told you this is how holy God is. And it should make you see, I'm not that holy. I fail, <laughs> you know. But what it was, it was laws that he put in place. As they obeyed, they would actually show a different type of nation to the world. And it was a, it was a conditional covenant. It wasn't unconditional. That means they had to obey for it to become effective in accomplishing what God wanted to accomplish. But then there's also unconditional covenants. understand but because it was conditional that's why god later on says i'm gonna i'm gonna remove that covenant i'm gonna give you a new one because you failed that one but he wasn't talking about salvation (laughs) he was talking about peculiarity he says you are no longer obeying me so you can't be peculiar to me you know folks you understand this in the church there there's opportunities to serve god but it's based on your choices. If you're not faithful, you're not right with God. don't ever expect a pastor or somebody to put you in a position that you have boundaries and you have to shine as a light. Yeah, and don't cry about it if you don't get it, because it's your fault. Yeah. <laughs> you understand that? I get it all the time. You don't use it. <laughs> Make yourself usable. And God will open up a door for you to be used. This isn't just about everybody doing something. This is about us preparing ourselves so that we can be effective in reaching the world for Christ. And the last thing we need is someone meeting somebody at the door that's been carousing all week, drinking alcohol, smoking cigarettes, and someone sees you as they walk in the door and says, What kind of church is this? That's when the Lord says, Let me take away your candlestick. Do you understand that? That's what's going on with Israel. He's telling them, guys, I want you to be a peculiar treasure to me. Same thing he's telling us. It matters. (laughs) I know that's not popular because the, the message today is just simple. Tolerance and love. Tolerance and love. And you get that here. Folks, I've had people come here; (laughs) they're not right with God, and they come over and over. They're still not right with God, and they'll come for a year. They're still not right with God. I don't kick them out over that unless they're hurting somebody. Mm -hmm. You want to be used? It's going to take a commitment, and that's why we have gates to go through. (laughs) We got baptism, we got church membership, and these things. These are all steps that show surrender. Amen. And I want to obey. I want to do the right thing. But you know we're a non-committal generation. We'll come to church. We like that when churches have no requirements. <laughs> we do. It's like some people when you ask, "Hey, we we got this need if someone can help and so forth." And they wait to see if someone else does it. Like our kids do. (laughs) They're waiting to see if the other brother or other sister will do it first. Because that's in our heart. We're non-committal. If someone else would do it, well, then the need is met and everybody's happy. Nobody, what just happened there, you showed God your heart. It's a problem. (laughs) And even though the work got done and nobody knew the better, something happened in your heart. Because you just revealed even to yourself how non-committal you truly are to the things of God. And so, Psalm 135, verse 4. For the Lord hath chosen Jacob unto himself and Israel for his peculiar treasure. And so that's talking about, of course, the children of Jacob. Um, And it's not just talking about being a treasure by redemption. It's talking about a treasure by identification. You understand that? You're all a treasurer by redemption. That has nothing to do with you. <laughs> you. know, That just simply is what Jesus paid for you. The Lord looks at you. He sees you the value of his son. That's very special to him. But in relation to being down here, in relation to purpose, in relation to being used, that's a different ballgame. You understand? Then it's not just enough for him to just value you because you're saved. Now he needs to value you by identification. That's why he offers baptism. Baptism is an identification. So before a person becomes a member, they have to identify with the death, burial, and resurrection in believers' baptism. So identification, identification isn't for God necessarily. Identification is for the people. Yeah. So they, they see you <laughs> and what you represent amen non-committal people can never identify they never do they just sit and complain that they're never chosen to do stuff amen i mean take up the responsibility that god has left in your lap in this world because he, you will answer for it look at look at the New Testament, how many times did he say, I've given this one a talent, this one two, this one three, and I will account for it? Yeah. Amen. That's referring in a general way to our lives and to the fact that just by us being here as children of God, we have a responsibility to invest and to, uh, what's the word? Increase <laughs> that which God has given us. Amen. And you're not going to escape that. We will all face them, look him straight in the eye. You will say, what did you do with it? Wow, you know. And so it is different than just being saved. I'm glad you're saved. I'm glad when anybody's saved, <laughs> praise God. But we're not here teaching you guys, you know, to be saved tonight. Maybe some of you, maybe you're not saved. But most of you are saved. So why am I teaching you? They were already bought by the blood In Egypt, the blood was applied to the doorposts, so what's God doing here? He's creating a peculiar people. That's what it's about. And so, um, in 1 Peter 2, 9, the New Testament version of this, for ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Right there, just in a nutshell, right there in that verse, verse 9. So, obedience does bring us above all people because it makes us a treasure to God by identification. Valuable to him, but not our righteousness, not not by what you choose to do, (laughs) you understand, It's not, oh, yeah, I'm going to have God value me, and I'm going to go do this for him and do that for him. You do nothing for God. The Bible says you're laborers together with God, not for him. And we got too many Christians trying to do stuff for him and trying to dictate what it is they will do for God and what they will not do for God. That really has no impact on this. You simply have to go to the Bible and say, Lord, I'm going to do what you've asked me to do. That's it. Just obey That's the situation that Israel was put in. There's no lone ranger there that all of a sudden said, uh, oh yeah, I got an idea. This is what I'm going to do for God. Moses, you go ahead and take the Israelites that way. We're going to go this way and do something really great. But we do that as Christians. I've seen people, missionaries, missionary-minded people do this. Well, this is what I'm going to (laughs) do. And understand, sometimes we get all kinds of harebrained (laughs) schemes going on and we catch ourselves with it. But there are some people out there trying to live it. But that's why the Bible says, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm not, it's not my faith. <laughs> if it's my faith, then I dictate what I'm going to believe. It's his faith. So I just simply follow what he's telling me to do. Amen? That's the importance of that verse. And so, um, i got to move on quickly here. Um, 2 Corinthians six seventeen. Wherefore, come out from among them, be ye separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. I will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Now, is he talking about salvation there? No, he's talking about peculiarity. See, this is the verse God used when I had a smoking problem. And God finally showed me, he says, this is what I need you to do. I need you to leave that alone because I cannot be the father to you that I want to, and neither can you be the son to me that you desire in your heart to be. And when that became my vote motive, the Lord gave me the strength to overcome. Because that is the Christian life. <laughs> It's about relationship. It's not because the preacher said, or Baptists do this, or we're against that. Or No, it's because I want to be close to God. Amen. That's why he brought you out unto himself. Amen. Amen? So, obedience number two would make Israel a kingdom of priests as well. You shall be unto me a kingdom of priests. A kingdom is just basically royal power. He's talking about authority. Authority. He's talking about the power that's involved in a dominion, in a kingdom. Then, uh, like Solomon, what happened with him? He He had kingdom power. He had power and authority given to him by God, but what did he do? He began to worship false idols, and immediately, his next generation there, the Lord split the kingdom. See, he says, I want you as a royal priesthood. That means a priesthood that has kingdom power and authority. (laughs) That's pretty special. Even the Levites, after this point, don't even reflect that very clearly. (laughs) They reflect the aspect of priesthood, but they don't reflect the aspect of royalty. And he gave us the same uh, thoughts here where where he says uh, to the church, he says, you will be a royal priesthood. He wants the same thing from us. So what does that mean to be a priest? Now a priest, um, but you're a chosen generation of royal priesthood. Uh, Revelation 1.6, And hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Notice how he puts kings and priests together. <laughs> he's I'm making you kings and priests. So he's saying a royal priesthood. Yeah. So when you're down here, serving Him, and you're faithfully suffering and you're sacrificing the way the Lord wants you to, the Bible says that He's going to give you crowns. And those crowns, you're going to receive them from Him, and ultimately you're going to throw them back at His feet. But those crowns will be translated into power during the millennial reign where you will get a position in the kingdom of God. See, he wants you to exercise authority. Now, you have authority now by using the name of Christ, especially when you identify properly with Christ. He gives you authority even over the demonic realm. You feel you're plagued by thoughts. Lord, can you please take these thoughts captive? And it's amazing how you just, they're gone. See, that's kingdom authority. Otherwise, you'd have no choice. The devil would just play around with your head 24-7. And that's why many people, they are playing around with their heads 24-7 is because they they do not have the authority to deal with it because they have wandered so far off from God. Nor do they even want him. They're no longer peculiar. They've lost that. And so we have to get right with God. That's why it's so easy for us to confess our sin and get cleansed and so forth. And once again, to get in control of our mind through the authority of Christ. Amen. It's an important thing to claim the authority of Christ. Revelation 5.10, And hath made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. That's early on in Revelation there. So it's about reigning and ruling. So isn't that a dictatorship type thing? Well, yeah, (laughs) the Lord will be our dictator. So if you've got a problem with dictators, you will have a problem with the Millennial Kingdom. <laughs> Amen. But he's a good dictator. Yeah. So priests. So why, why is it so, now we understand royal authority, but what about priests? What does that do for you? Well, why do I need to be a priest? Who is a priest? You know, we know the Jethro was a priest. He would, what would he do? What would be the, the major occupation or the major work of a priest? A go-between? Well, they would offer sacrifices. See, at the beginning, the patriarch was the priest. Job, Abraham, all the fathers of the family, they would offer sacrifices for their kids. And later on, the Lord began to choose different methods. That's why he went with a Levitical priesthood. He started with Aaron, because what he was trying to do is trying to give you a clear picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. He needed to set up a priesthood where he could reflect the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because Aaron was the high priest, and Aaron became a picture of Jesus Christ, who is our high priest. Amen? And so the priest is one that simply can draw near to God. So that's why today, many times you'll have, in in, in false religions, they'll call themselves a priest, and they will separate themselves from the rest of the people and say, I'm the priest here. I'm the one that can get close to God. Now, if you want to get close to God, you have to come to me. But the problem is that's not what God commanded us to do. That was for the Levitical priesthood with Israel, but it wasn't for the church or the New Testament. Because now the Bible says that we're all royal priests. Amen? That means we all can draw close to God. Every last one of us. We can all exercise the authority of Christ as well. And so priests offer acceptable spiritual sacrifices to God. Remember Aaron's sons? What did they try to do when they lit up the altar of incense? They offered strange fire unto the Lord. And the Lord says, you failed to sanctify me in the eyes of the people, and he killed them on the spot. See, that's how serious he was about what the priest's intention was when he was serving God in the tabernacle. Everything had to be exact. (laughs) Amen? You're a priest. The Bible says they wouldn't be able to even drink alcohol when they were serving God in the tabernacle. Well, I don't either when I come to church. (laughs) Well, the thing is, the Levitical priesthood, they had shifts. You don't. You're 24-7. Seven days a week, you're a priest before God. Unless you don't want that. I mean, it's good for you. <laughs> Amen. It's good for you to have that. So all those requirements for the Old Testament priesthood, he's saying, okay, if I wouldn't want them to do it while they're serving God, do you think he wants you to do it when you're at home or when you're at work or when you're with your friends? or Because everywhere you are, you are serving him. And you're offering, the Bible says in 1 Peter 2, 5, Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Nobody's going to go kill a lamb and go burn it on an altar. (laughs) If you do that, you're off. Don't do it. It's so crazy these days how Christians, they get off on this thing where they think they need to go back to the Old Testament and redo. They miss it. I'm only. are you saved? (laughs) Because, my goodness, man, (laughs) that is, you're a shadow chaser. (laughs) Those are just shadows. I'd much rather, you know, spend my time with the substance, not the shadow. But a lot of people, they're happy just chasing shadows. You know, they don't want the substance. And Christ is the substance. You know, and everything in the Old Testament is simply a shadow that he cast. You know, to show them the, the, Show them the, the uh, what Jesus looked like. Your shadow, in a strange way, gives us a reflection or an outline of what you look like. And that's about all they had of the Messiah in the Old Testament. But we got much more now because we, only, we not only have the outward pictures and the works, we have the inner heart in the New Testament. So when he says that you're offering up spiritual sacrifices... <laughs> He said, I don't want you to be focused on all this external lambs and goats and burning stuff. That, what I want you to offer is the stuff that's in here. I want you to offer thanksgiving when you've lost everything. That's a spiritual sacrifice. I want you to be faithful even though everybody's turned against you. That's a spiritual sacrifice. When you've got to stand alone... <laughs> That's a spiritual sacrifice. Those are the things that Jesus did that had to do with his heart. Not just about this performance-based Christianity. It's about a relationship-based, it's heart-based. Amen? So the priesthood, he's saying, okay, he understood with them, he was focusing externally because he couldn't really do much with them internally, Israel in in the desert. But he can with us. Everything, and we, if we go through this, and we're not even get through, nearly through this, we're almost done. But you know, it, it, once you go through this, you see that what God's doing is working all external. Before you don't come to the mountain, I'm going to come down, wash your clothes. <laughs> like, wash your clothes? You guys wash your clothes for church? Well, You've got to inspect that. <laughs> Be a good priest. So... Exodus nineteen twenty two, And let the priests also which come near to the Lord sanctify themselves, lest the Lord break forth upon them. <laughs> so here you have them. They've already been given a place of a priesthood. The Lord says, you still have to be careful to sanctify yourself because if you don't, I will break out upon you. Wow, that's a holy God. It sure does not reflect what's going on today. This whole attitude, this loosey-goosey God that they have out there. Man, our God is holy, guys. Amen. He is holy. And you know what? He's not expecting you to be holy without his help. Yeah. But he is expecting holiness. Amen. Number three will be done. Obedience was necessary for Israel to be a holy nation. Yeah. Holy means sacred, sanctified, separated to God righteous within and without, totally consecrated. Same thing we see in First Peter 2, 9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation. Now we may not have land boundaries, but we do have boundaries within the local church. Same thing. That's why I say Israel and the church have so many similarities as far as how the Lord operates, even though the entities are different. But one day you're going to see this. You're going to see Israel that is going to have everything the church has and they'll have the land too. They're going to have the nation too. Then truly there will be a witness to the world. There'll be a witness to the world nationally. You, you ever thought about that when you think about Canada? you know, it's, it's, Oh, you know, we're such a godly nation. We could be a witness to the whole world you don't realize how far off we are. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if the last three or four years hasn't revealed that to you, there is no holiness in our countries. There is no hope of national holiness. Right. But we know that we as a church are called to be a holy nation. You know that Israel Was called within their boundaries to be a holy nation. That's why they had to kick out all the idols and all the false teachings and so forth. And that's why they failed. But when Jesus Christ comes, He's going to set them back in there again and give them the full boundaries, which they really have not even possessed yet. They've never realized the whole boundaries, as much as they've had. But when Jesus Christ comes in that moment, it's all going to be restored. And they will fulfill all these three things. Peculiar people, they will be a kingdom of priests, and they will be a holy nation. And these three things are what you and I are supposed to be right now. So, let's get this out of our head that we're not supposed to do right. We're supposed to do right. Oh, that's legalism. Call it what you want. You need to do right. <laughs> you know, legalism is requiring you to do it without God. No, you can be holy with God's help. The Bible says that grace that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us to deny ungodliness. See, we actually live holy by grace. See, people put grace at odds with holiness. It's not. Grace is necessary for holiness. Grace brings us to holiness. See, that's why Israel couldn't reach that. They never had the grace. For the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by jesus christ when you have them both (laughs) then you've got the whole package understand and jesus christ fulfilled the law when you have christ you have the whole package (laughs) amen the whole package everything together and he is a holy holy god amen anyways we'll finish this up next time let's pray Father, thank you, Lord, for this opportunity we had again to open up your word. I thank you, Lord, for bringing the message in the direction you did. I pray, Lord, you'd help us to apply it to the church, to our personal lives, to our families, to our homes. Help us, Lord, to do right. Lord, right now, I pray your Holy Spirit would bring to our mind those things that you know we need to deal with for us to be a holy nation, for us to have boundaries where things will be right and I, I pray, Lord, that all of us here would surrender to that tonight. <clears throat> and that, Lord, because of that, you could bless and give us power on earth so that we could do the work of God. Effectively.